Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for episode 51 of the Alt Left podcast. I'm your host for this week, uh, Matthew Jumbo Johnson. With me, as always, is the good Reverend Dr. K. Good evening, everyone. Our illustrious normal host couldn't be here with us. He is um, he's doing homework for for lack of a better, better term. Uh, yeah. So good luck to him and fuck him because, you know, he's like getting an education. I know. Loser actually gives a damn about his future. How pathetic. <laughs> oh, Chris, you aren't missed. At least not by us, but by the rest of our, uh, by our fandom, <laughs> small though they may be, I'm sure that your, your presence will be sorely missed. Absolutely. Real quick, before we move on, I'd like oh, to yeah. just apologize for not being here, uh, for us not being here for a, an additional week. Um, you know, unfortunately life does get in the way. Sometimes things happen and, uh, we're going to move past that. We're going to continue to, to pump out some episodes here for you. Yeah, we had a bunch of stuff going on here. Uh, not only is Chris going through school, but I've recently moved. I've had a death in the family. We had the holidays, you know, it, it, and I've got a baby on the way. So it's just been the last several weeks have been insane. So that's why we've missed a couple here and there. Uh, but we are back. Uh, we should be coming to you guys pretty solidly for the next few weeks here. Back to our normal schedule, and we're looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, buckle up. This is hopefully going to be an interesting one. Yeah, so Kay and I, we've mentioned this before, but Kay and I are really, really into technology and goods and things of that nature. And one of the things, since we realized we were going to be doing this episode, just him and me, we, we wanted to talk about something that he and I both have an equal interest in. And this is one of those. And it just so happens that this particular topic that we're going to be delving into has a lot of intersectionality when it comes to politics and and. and capitalist policies um, in general. And the topic is is kind of basically about things like planned obsolescence and the right to repair and, you know, what limits we have with our current technology, why we aren't allowed to fix it ourselves, why that's a complete and utter absolute travesty and how it's actually planned. Like the manufacturers want it this way because it's how they max part of the way they maximize their profit. I mean, mm-hmm. When they have to all, not only do they get to sell you the device, but they also have to sell you the repair service and their control of all the repair, um, all the replacement parts. They just get to make their monies, you know, twice, three times over again on the same product. You know, and so that's, I think, where we're going to start this episode is with with the right to repair and why it's an important one. So right to repair, what that really means is, is that when you buy something, doesn't matter what it is. When you buy anything, that it is yours to do whatever you like with it, and that you have the right, when it breaks, to repair it without being encumbered by the company who manufactured it or sold it to you. Yep. So there, there's a couple of places where this has become really, really super evident, uh, specifically with Apple and the iPhone. Now, oh, yeah. I'm an iPhone user. I know Matt is not. I know Chris is not. The The issue here really is, is that Apple thinks about their product, not just in a state of when they sold it to you, but every moment after that. 
And the way that they look at it is that they want to provide the most seamless and best service for their customers. Now, that is not necessarily just to their advantage. It's also to their detriment, not just with their phones, but also with their laptops and their tablets and their regular computers. What what happens is, is like if you break your your phone, right? Uh, let's say the screen cracks. If I take that into Apple, they used to not really do repairs on their phones. You break it and you buy a new one. That that's what they pretty want. much is. If you broke it, they would literally swap it out for you. There wouldn't be any real repair, and so the repair market for these goods kind of kind of came about. Well, the problem with that is that. Apple had such a stranglehold on all the parts that you couldn't buy authentic screens for a long time. So authentic screens means something that was actually made by the original manufacturer to fit your phone, not an aftermarket part. So you'd have to go to some guy in a kiosk or in a store in the mall or whatever, and he would fit your phone with a part that potentially was not of the same quality of the as the original. This is a problem. This is a problem because you should have the right to repair your product. And there has been a huge movement of people that are fighting to be able to repair their devices, specifically their phones. Now and and it doesn't just isolate itself to phones. This is for everything. There's a huge battle that um, that's going on with John Deere, the company that makes some of the biggest and best tractors in the world, uh, where apparently they're you know, in a lawsuit right now. So it, it's it's this big thing because a lot of farm, farm workers have been, I guess, caught, if you will, um, putting, you know, third party software hacked software onto their tractors and trailers and John Deere equipment in order so that they can self-repair it. Because when you don't do that, the way it works with John Deere, much like Apple and a lot of electronic companies and a lot of companies in general, where it's they control everything about the product. So once you've bought it, while technically, yes, you do own it, uh, if you want parts in order to repair it, you need to go through them. Not even parts. You have to get their repairmen to come out and service your machine. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of not all of these companies will will put out things like, oh, it's too complicated for other people to do it. We'd have all kinds of problems with it breaking our equipment. And most of this is bullshit. Um, once oh, yeah. these products come out, there is no end of people that you know will go in and try to figure out how they work and do figure out how they work quite successfully, learn how to repair them and learn how to do it well. That's how you get aftermarket parts to begin with. People rip these things open, learn what's inside of them, and they'll they'll copy it. Now because with Apple, I think this is a good example. They make a lot of their stuff is designed to only work best with Apple Apple made products. Like you can get third party stuff that works okay, but Apple, I believe, has built their stuff specifically designed to work with their own products, which is another reason why I don't like Apple. I mean, that's one of the main reasons is once you buy Apple, you are locked in. You have to use iTunes. You have to use that stupid what is it, Thunderbolt cable? Is that what it's called? Uh, it's a lightning cable. Lightning cable, like it, it's it, there's no reason for it. Like every even Apple, I think, is now switching to USB C finally. But uh, so they've switched to USB C for their tablets and for most of their laptops. The iPhones, as as of yet, have not switched. Which 
they really kind of thought that that was going to happen this year, but it, apparently it didn't. Uh, I haven't will, purchased yeah. a new phone in several years. But it will. It's stupid, and they can't stop it. But the, the, the point that I'm getting at is these companies will lock you into doing this, and now John Deere is in this fight with, with these farmers trying to stop them from doing this, and it's becoming a big thing. And I really – I'm on the side of the farmers with this. It's like it, it is unreasonable for you to sell someone a product that they, by all legal standards, own and then – completely block them from having the ability to repair it on their own. And I've seen like actual and talk to actual farmers. Literally, they had to pay a John Deere technician uh, thousands of dollars to come and service their equipment where the, the technician came in, plugged their computer into the, the tractor, hit three or four buttons you know, tractor starts up, starts running, starts doing whatever it's supposed to, and then literally leaves and bills them for thousands of dollars. Yeah, uh, this is a reality. And and so this this idea that once you own it, it's yours, that a company can't uh, essentially block you from being able to service your own equipment, your own devices, your own blenders, your own anything right? Yeah. That you own it. It is yours. You are allowed to do with it whatever you want. It is now your property in its entirety. So this right to repair, recently there's been some new legislation. Um, specifically, Apple has decided that they have a new uh, repair program where they're going to allow people who are so inclined to do their own basic repairs uh, in terms of like replacing screens or batteries and things like that, that they will provide you with the tools to do so at their facility uh, in terms of at their stores. Previous to that, only people or only authorized repair companies uh, that paid thousands of dollars and signed all kinds of agreements and things like that were able to do those repairs. But what would happen is, is that, like you brought your phone into this repair company. That repair company would have to take your phone, they would have to send the information of that phone to Apple. They would have to buy the part. The part would then have to be shipped to them. Then they could actually install it into your phone. And then that company would have to return the original damaged part back to Apple to get credit for it. So that is kind of going away. Which yeah. This is a good thing. This is like kind of the first step into getting back this idea of that when you buy something, you own it. The right to repair also kind of moves into uh, something else that I'm also kind of a huge advocate for, which is uh, planned obsolescence. So planned obsolescence is the idea that a company build things only to a certain uh, quality so that after a certain amount of time, they will break. And if something is designed to break at a certain uh, amount of time, why shouldn't you be able to repair it yourself? Why shouldn't you be provided parts by the manufacturer? Like if you want to make something cheap, go right ahead, make something cheap, but at least make it so that I can fix it. And here's the thing. It all, it's not just technology companies. Like phone companies are a good example of this. And what I mean is for those of you that are unfamiliar, with, with regards to technology, there's this thing out there called Moore's Law. And what Moore's law is, is basically 
a way of predicting technology technological growth. And it's it's actually starting to no longer hold true, but it started, I think it's like uh Gordon Moore brought this up back in like the 40s or 30s, a long time ago. Like we're coming up on almost 100 years. To keep things simple and not go on a big thing about what this is, it's, it essentially says that the number of transistors on a microchip doubles every two years, though the cost of computers is half. So essentially what, what it's what's saying is every two years, you're going to increase the speed and uh, capabilities of your technology while lowering its costs. And if that two-year number sounds kind of familiar to you, most of you that have cell phone plans may be well aware that those plans are designed to go every two years, even before you were financing. Right now, financing phones is the big thing where you basically have a two-year financing interest-free. You pay for your phone and you don't have to be on an actual plan, although you still kind of are as long as you're paying, you're making payments on the phone. You're locked in with that company. But before the, before they were doing that, you'd sign up with a two-year plan and you'd renew every two years. And the reason they did this is because they knew phone technology was going to consistently get better. And every two years, they wanted to incentivize you to buying the new phone. And as many of you have seen, every two years, phones seem to get better. Yeah. And actually, phones of the last, I would say, four years, I don't know about you, but the the iPhone hasn't changed that much in the last four years. Uh, I know yeah. like the Samsung Galaxy uh, class phones have not really changed that much. Yeah, the camera's gotten slightly better and the battery's gotten slightly bigger and we've gotten a little bit better in terms of the processing power and memory has gotten a little bit better, but it's not huge leaps and bounds like we were seeing in the early thousands. Oh yeah. Uh, in in the early thousands, we were really seeing where technology started to get really small, really fast and really expensive and then really cheap. I think the reason for that, like he was saying, is, is Moore's law starting to break down where we can't actually double our ability to uh, create processing power every two years. It's just not possible. Yeah, we're, we're at the point of diminishing returns. Yeah, at some point in time, you can't you can no longer uh, continue to to make things that much faster and better. And what we're really seeing now in terms of technology is the 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 software getting greater and greater and better and better. Yeah. That's where we're really seeing our our uh, advancements. And just to clarify, we said we're saying 30s and 50s, but actually Gordon Moore made his his Moore's Law prediction back in 1965. Just want to get the dates right because I think Pardon I was confusing yeah. that with something else because we're talking about transistors. I thought it was in the 50s, but yeah, and you would be closer than I was because I think that's around the time that microprocessors started coming around, or at least the technology began. Yeah. But I don't know where I got the 30s from. But anyway, uh, but we digress. But yeah, we are getting to the point like transistor technology is going to event like we're not there yet but we are eventually going to reach a point where we can't, you can't make them any smaller and so you're going to get we're finding now that it, instead of every two years it's going every four years but again all this stuff is known within technology-based communities and and they build their marketing and they build technology with this idea in mind. And like Kay said, it is getting, it's, it's now about every four years where you're seeing the bigger jumps now. Um, but Apple, I think has always been known kind of for like, Apple's really good about coming up with a great idea and really being the first to, to make it great. And then falling by the side while everyone else comes up and just capitalizes on it. I mean, again, you know, 
MP3 players that that started like Apple is the one that really hit it big with iPods. Like, but the, and the was thing big. is, is there was MP3 players before Apple. Absolutely, but they're the ones that made it big. Yeah, but but they were not as good. Yeah, like they did a great job of making them like super slick and super usable, and then all of the other technology behind it made it better. Yeah. And, and again, that, that's kind of how this works. But we are never, and I mean this, the average consumer is never playing with the, great, the biggest and the best technology ever. We're always years behind what's at, what's technologically capable because you know technology is is far exceeds uh, the 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 cost of efficiency or the ability of the average person to afford the technology. But even then, you know, like you have to accept the fact that what you're getting was made and packaged with the idea that it will be unusable for most people within a couple of years of you getting it. And that's only compounded by the inability of us to make repairs to these things. The big thing I think with phones too is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to kale it. You speak to iPhones personally. I have a lot of opinions about Apple as far as iPhones. Their stuff is overall crappier. It's, I mean, it's known like whatever you get in the most recent Apple, you can get for half the cost and twice the speed for any other maker. I mean, that's just how they work. Uh, well, and to be honest, that is true. So as far as like iPhones are concerned. Uh, yeah, I mean, the technology that you're getting on any phone is not cutting edge. So but the real question is, is what does all the right to repair stuff have to do with politics? And I think where what it really has to do is the fact that this is legislation that needs to happen, where we need to start passing legislation that says that it is OK for you to repair the things that you own and that the companies that make these products, whether it be a car, whether it be a tractor, whether it be a phone or a laptop, or like I said, even a blender, that they provide you with documentation, that they provide you with uh, parts, they, they provide you with what is necessary to repair these items. So back in 2013, uh, I believe it was Massachusetts passed a, a law which required automakers to re, uh, to supply repair shops with uh, documentation and information needed to make repairs on their vehicles. And that actually prompted the rest of, or it prompted all of the car companies, because they had to make it available in Massachusetts, to actually make it that information available uh, nationwide. And most of the car companies here in the United States are are members of this now association, the Auto Care, or excuse me, the Alliance for Automotive Innovation and Auto Care Association. There's uh, one company that is notably not part of this uh, association, which is Tesla. And Tesla is another one of those companies that has decided that they don't fit the normal uh, idea of what a car manufacturer and dealer is because they don't have quote unquote dealerships and how they get around that is that they don't they don't stock a a big car lot with teslas they have all of these little retail showrooms those are in malls or you know in strip malls or you know wherever 
you go in and you can look at one or two of the models of the car, but you would go home and, and order your vehicle online. When you talk about these big companies, the reason why we don't have more of these right to repair laws is because of lobbying by companies like Apple, Microsoft, and Tesla. They're the ones that are stopping people from actually putting these laws on the books and really getting these things done. Whenever these right to repair laws come up, they're fought to the nail by these companies. Now, the the running line that they always have is, oh, we're worried about security vulnerabilities that would affect consumers. But there, there's really nothing that would affect it. Like, honestly, you're, you're not going to – they try to claim that people are going to see spikes in – malware and viruses and security hacks and things like that by people getting access to their hardware. But it's mostly bullshit. I mean, all that shit is software related to begin with. And, and I'm sure there's some, uh, you know, ingenious people out there that might be able to find something for that. But the but it's easy to get the information is as long as you have the phone, anybody that intelligent is going to be able to figure it out without having access already. They're just going to open up their phone and get it. You know, yeah. so a lot of these these reasons they have for fighting this is horseshit because, again, they make money hand over fist. I mean, not only are they making money off the products they're selling you, but like we said, when they put these products under their warranties and they are forcing you to go through them, which, by the way, anybody that's ever done this, even with, with the best customer service in the world, a lot of these times when you send stuff in, it takes weeks to even months to get it back. And, oh, yeah. not, and, and sometimes even then it's an asshole. I mean, gosh, Chris recently has gone through like three months of hell just trying to get a PC that worked right. You know, all that yeah. stuff that he went through with, uh, oh, what was the brand he got? I forget. Uh, NZXT. That's right. And so Chris actually got a nice NZXT rig and he was getting the blue screen of death every time. And he kept, tr it was this back and forth that he kept having to do. And I think they sent it, to, like he had to send it in and get it back like two or three times, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Blue screen of death means that the, the software was crashing and it kept happening repeatedly over and over and over. So he, he spoke to the company. They said that they would uh, allow him to return it and they would repair it and then they would send it back to him. He got it back uh, after having to send it in and be without a computer for like a week and a half. When they sent it back to him, they said, oh, well, we can't find anything wrong. Yeah, it wasn't it. It didn't have any kind of a problem when we were using it. And that's like, well, how is that possible? Like, did you did you turn it on and look at it for 10 minutes or did you turn it on and like leave it running for hours at a time? Because I don't know about you, but the last time I even turned my computer on, it was on for like eight or nine hours at a time. It wasn't on for 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. And a problem like that's not going to present itself in five or 10 minutes. It's just not. It's going to take some time for it to present itself. And eventually it will. But yeah, he, then he got it back and he continued to have the same problem. And he finally uh, was able to get it sent back in again. And they replaced the motherboard and sent it back to him. I don't remember if it was if it was fixed at that point or what exactly the outcome was. Now he has a fully working PC, but that's another one of those customer service issues that, uh, in my opinion, needs to be addressed. Like this is unacceptable to me. 
And, and here's the thing. the re, One of the reasons they don't want this, I think, is because, again, it's good for the consumer. And we, we don't have a pro-consumer economy. No, we have, not even we have remotely. A, a, we have a pro-corporation economy. And, but it's not even in the most obvious ways. And, and what I mean by that is when you give people the right to repair their own equipment and they are able to do it easily and cheaply, that is another way that you spur innovation. I mean, we've seen this, a good example of this, and I know, Kay, you're just kind of getting into this with gaming, but anybody Mm -hmm. that's ever been a gamer, the modding community, and again, this is a good example of, of somebody opening up their software to let others play around with it and see what happens. Uh, God, anybody that's ever been a fan of the game Skyrim, I know Chris and I have mentioned it several times on here. The modding community for that game is what has kept it alive. That game came out in 2012, and it is still one of the most popular RPGs there is, and that's largely due to the rabid modding community. All these re-releases that that uh, Bethesda is doing of this game, for those of you that are aware of it, those are nice and all, but all they're really doing is taking some of the best things modders have done and repackaging it in a re-release of the game. Like that's literally what's happening. Yeah. But it shows yeah. you what can happen when you give people the ability to tinker with their stuff. That's what I mean by it spurs on innovation. You can start seeing people playing, coming up with new ideas and new ways to use this stuff that the original manufacturers never intended. But the problem is once you do that, it also creates more competition for the companies themselves. Then you've got yeah, all these, uh, you've got all these other, and they don't want that because again, that would be what's best for the consumer, not what's best for the company. And that I think that's where the politics of this comes in. You know, we've made no, um, what's the word, secret. We've made no secret of our disdain for a lot of the tenets of capitalism on this podcast. And I think that's one of the, where these two points intersect is why I think Kay and I specifically are so rabid about this. And I, and I, I guarantee you, uh, Chris is as well. I think Kay and I are, are a little bit more of the tech minded, but Chris in the last few years, mm-hmm. especially has really co- co- started coming into this stuff too. And there is an absolutely insane political component to this because it all comes back to legislation. And unless you force a company to do what's best for the consumer, they are never going to do it. Yeah. And this also, this is also the same problem that plagues like the pharmaceutical industry. Here in the United States, we have some of the highest pharmaceutical costs in the world. And it's not because our drugs cost more to produce. It's not because, you know, we we do take more drugs than anywhere else in the world. But it it's not because the pharmaceutical costs are any higher than they are anywhere else here. It's because they can charge more because the market will allow it. Insurance companies, they encourage it. The government does nothing to stop it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you go, go to into Canada. Mexico or <laughs> and you go into Canada yeah. and you can get medication that here is hundreds of dollars per pill for dollars, like yeah. one or two dollars <laughs> per pill. Go to Mexico with a 20 and I guarantee you'll get the same quality insulin that you're getting, that you're paying $900 a vial for here. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, that is the absolute truth. We have some of the highest insulin costs here in, in the world. I, I don't remember how long ago it was, probably five or six years ago. There was uh, a pharmaceutical investment guy that, that purchased EpiPens, mm-hmm. the patent for those. Yeah. And he jacked up the price 
to like four or five or seven or eight or nine hundred dollars a piece. Yeah. Where you literally go to any other country and they're under a hundred dollars, I think. But that's the kind of stuff that that we allow in this country because consumerism and capitalism uh, reign. And until we as the people that are using these things start to really get involved and understand what is holding us back and what is keeping us from having fairer prices on these things, because it affects me personally. I, I'm a diabetic with high blood pressure. I take a fair amount of medication every day. You know, I inject insulin. Uh, I have, I'm on a weekly medication. I take, you know, th three different pills. Like I'm on some medication. If I didn't have it, I would literally die. I'm allowed, I, I can actually afford it because I have a fairly good job. But if I didn't, I don't know how I would afford my insulin. I would be one of those people that you hear about on the news where I would be rationing my insulin and one day I would run out and a few days later after that I'd die yeah. because I couldn't afford it. Or I would have to do you know strenuous things like try to cross into Mexico, buy a bunch of insulin and then bring it back without getting caught yeah. because it's illegal to bring that shit here. And the EpiPen guy, by the way, was Martin Shkreli. There you go. He made a big name. By the way, he did get eventually get arrested and I think put in jail, but it wasn't because he price gouged people that nope. needed drugs to live. It was because he was he committed fraud. Like that that's eventually what and not even like it wasn't even fraud against people. It was fraud against shareholders. That's what eventually got him. Yeah. When you screwed those with money out of their money, you go to jail. When you cause people to die because they can't afford a basic medication, nope, you're fine. Our priorities here for these kinds of things in the United States are are backwards. They're fucked up. Yeah. Um, and, and this is not a, a Democrat or a Republican or a conservative or a liberal topic. This is an everyone topic because these things affect all of us. Yeah. Things like gas taxes and and sales tax are things that actually hurt the average person. It's what costs us more. There's a, a content creator on, I can't remember one of the platforms. She's from uh, New Zealand. And in one of the videos, I saw her talking about sales tax. And when she came to the United States, she couldn't understand that the price on the tag was not the price when she went to the checkout line that it would actually cost her. Like she couldn't understand that we have this sales tax that, that goes on top of it. She couldn't believe that we have to tip. Here in the United States, we have this fucked up idea that we don't pay our, our workers enough, especially our food workers, and so they must rely on their tips to live. This is all part and parcel of the same problem here in the United States of harsh consumerism, capitalism that works for the rich and not for the poor. Late stage capitalism, people, we're living in it now. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And, and, and what's messed up about it, so you, what you said, I think, is right, Kay. This, these are problems that I think ultimately transcend Democrat or Republican. Um, and even in a lot of ways, just straight up right or left, when you break it down, in, I think, in the way we're doing it, where it's just like, hey, this is a problem I see we should not do this thing. I think most people are going to be like, yes, I agree with you. And then when you start bringing in laws and stuff, then all of a sudden you're going to get, you know, 
if it's the Democrat that's putting this law up, the right winger is going to say, oh, look at this. Look at this communist guy trying to tell corporations what they should, can and can't do with their property. How dare he? You know, and then if it's the right winger doing it, it's going to be, you know, somebody from the left saying, oh, my God, look at how racist they are because they only want to do it for white people or some other shit like this. That That's where the politicizing of these issues comes yeah. in and ruins everything. Not to say that there aren't some issues that are inherently like left or right. Like, I mean, again, I, I, you're not going to see many people on the left that are going to be, you know, pro, uh, pro-life, you know, and advocating for those issues and vice versa. You know, when you get into some of these weeds, you're, you're, you're gonna have dividing lines, but on something like this, I think it's something everybody should be able to agree on. You know, this is, I believe is where Chris gets, you know, a lot of his philosophy from it's the, the, you know, bourgeoisie against the proletarian people accept the reality they're presented with by and large, most people, as long as they're fed and clothed and housed and can get off on a regular basis, like as long as those needs are met, you know, they're going to be fine with everything the way it is, as long as it doesn't personally affect the most people. And that goes left or right. You know, I think a lot of people in general are just going to be like, oh, you know what? Things are going well for me. So, you know, fuck that guy who wants to change it. Or why would we change this? Everything's working fine. You know, if you can afford to buy a new phone every two years and you're getting something new and flashy and shiny, why would you think twice about, isn't it weird that I have to buy a phone every two years? Like, yeah. I think that's kind of the mentality that you get. It, you've really got to, you've got to flip your perspective on these things a little bit. One of the reasons I have like, and that's why I've started trying to make my phones last a little bit. That's the other thing is you were talking about planned obsolescence. And one of the big components of that, we were talking about phones, but even a component of the phone, the batteries, these lithium ion batteries just don't have the shelf life. And if people could just replace their batteries easily, you guys remember when we had those Nokia's, the bricks, oh, yeah. I the mean, old brick we're phones. aging ourselves here. Yeah. But those things lasted forever. And then when they you all wanted had replaceable battery, batteries. Yeah. You could just literally, you pop the back off and bought a new battery and stuck it in there and you're good for another couple of years. But we also, the, the battery technology of 20 years ago was, is not the same as today. Like, my phone, like I have a an iPhone XS Max. So now it is like f- almost four years old. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the right to buy a battery and replace it. Yeah. That's the biggest complaint that most people have. I actually looked this up. The, the biggest reason people eventually start decide to switch out their phones. I mean, Apple has that bullshit where it's like after a certain amount of of. Uh, software upgrades like it won't even work on your old so- hardware anymore but in general the biggest complaint people have is battery life like eventually there is the, it won't hold a charge as well and you will see like you'll you'll go i mean like you said we're getting to the point where we've got batteries that are going to last for like 48 to 72 hours now as opposed to the ones that lasted 12 you're right technology is getting better but because these are these are rechargeable batteries eventually it's going to stop holding a charge no, of uh, course. You only get so many charge and discharge cycles. Yes, and people should have the option of either, if they want to buy a new phone, fine. I'm not going to fault anybody that wants the new phone. But for somebody that can afford it, we should be able to re- replace our batteries for 20 to 50 bucks, slap the new one in there, and get another two, three years out of our phone just from the battery life, you know? Yeah, well, and I, I think we're getting there. I, I, I genuinely feel like we're getting there. There's a lot of places where this is not the case. 
there are groups that are fighting this. Uh, the Repair Association. For anybody interested, yes. you can go check out Repair.org. They're the one of the big advocacy groups that's, that's kind of fighting for the right to repair and leading the way. But yeah, Repair.org, check them out. Uh, they're the ones that are basically fighting in Congress to get these laws passed, to get them up there, going up against all the special interest groups uh, for these corporations that are fighting against it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think... Like you said, Kay, I think it, it's it's progress, slow progress, but it's progress. But we need to keep pushing for it, just like everything else out there. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head with saying that we need to keep pushing our government to make things better for us in everything that we do. We need to push them for right to repair. We need to push them for better pharmaceutical pr- uh, pricing. We need to sh- push them for to make health care cheaper and and more available. We need to push them for better wages. We need to push them for a lot of things. Continuing to to talk about it and fight the good fight is the key here. We need to keep doing that. And until we continue to do that, we will continue to have what we have, which is we get very little. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Maddie Cakes, um, got anything in the mailbag this week? I do, I do. So we had a shorter episode this week. Thank you everyone for sticking with us again. We'll be back to our full schedule next week. But there are two I want to hit on. Um, one is an old one. I'm going to say I'm sorry now. Uh, this is to our our follower, Kaylee. She actually sent me something back in July and, and I had meant to do it. And we kept getting interviewees and things like that, that where it didn't really fit with Matt's mailbag. And so she kind of got pushed to the wayside. If you guys remember a few months back, we did an episode and where I asked everyone what their worst job experience was. And so she shared it with us and I never got to do the shout out for her. And I wanted to, again, Kaylee, super sorry. I didn't forget about you. It's just so much other stuff happened that we didn't, we just never got to it. Uh, but we're here now. I want to share this with her because it's actually a pretty good one. It's long, so bear with me. But since we're doing a shorter episode this week, uh, I figured this would be a perfect time to do it. Don't worry. I got time. All right. So this was her worst job experience. Uh, so she worked the, the um, grave mistake at working at a Chick-fil-A, not only once, but twice. Uh, I guess there was not too many uh, options Brian, that that God's name, she- would you do this? Again, not too many options that pay where she works. I'm not going to, she gave me the state she works in, but again, I don't feel good about telling people where even states. So, um, but anyway, the second time she climbed up the position of director way too quickly and no training was offered. Sounds about right for these kinds of jobs. Uh, they made their, made her work in that capacity for a month before they adjusted her pay to only 15 for a director position. Keep in mind, she's a director at Chick-fil-A, which was her first glaring red flag. That sounds about right. Yeah. Eventually, though, she figured out uh, what she was doing, and her incredible crew was breaking store records on a weekly basis. Amazing what happens when you get a good person in there that actually gives a shit and gives it their all. Sounds like somebody here is pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. I wonder how it's going to work out for them. (laughs) (laughs) Our crew was amazing. They deserve so much more than I was allowed to give them. Their owner and senior directors were outright abusive to the staff cutting their hours over disagreements, writing them up over painted nails that they didn't like or five o'clock shadow and making them work outside without access to a bathroom or extra water for hours on end. Holy shit. God. Yeah. I mean, you know, Chick-fil-A is bad, but when you hear these horror stories, it's just, Oh, so the official rule was that drive through workers were to be swapped out with someone that was inside every half hour, but that only happened on, on her shifts 
uh, and her evening director shifts. Okay, so apparently whenever they weren't there, this wasn't happening. Uh, she did everything to help, including advocating for them aggressively with the owner, taking money from the register to get treats. I know, I know, but my power was that limited. Nobody gives good for you. No, fuck it. Steal from the shitty owner and give them treats. The workers deserve it. Don't feel mm-hmm. bad. Uh, their power was limited, giving them paid breaks when the owner wasn't watching good and helping all of them with their resumes to help them get out even better. Oh, I love this. And when that backfired on me, which of course it did, I tried to help organize a union, which also failed. Fucking A, good for you, Kaylee. Eventually, after they fired me, one of my queer friends for uh, one of my queer friends for not meeting company standards. I think we all know what that meant. Yep, Chick-fil-A. Fucking mm-hmm. assholes. Uh, and after they cut my pay because I couldn't work around paint when they were remodeling, she's allergic to the fumes, I just had to get out. When I put in my two weeks notice, they told me that I would, that they knew what I had been doing, organizing and had me escorted out of the building, not all, not allowing me to work out my two weeks and making me lose that pay. There is no hate like Republican Christian love. <laughs> that is, that is the, the God honest truth. That I is. I don't believe in God. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. God, what a fucking nightmare. Kaylee, I'm impressed as shit. I can't believe you stuck it out and I can't believe you actually did what you could to fight those fucks like that. So I know this is a long time coming, Kaylee, but fucking a good for you. Well handled. Thanks for sending in in that uh, inspirational story. It definitely inspired me to keep not eating a Chick-fil-A. That's for fucking sure. I think we all need a little bit of that uh, that kick in the pants every once in a while to hear that that uh, horror story every once in a while to say, man, there's so much more that I could be doing in my current position. The, the next one is a quick one. I wanted to get this one out there, too, because uh, one of our, our girls, uh, Jackie Chaotic Socialist, she also posted something that was really quick and easy, but it kind of just hit home for all of us. It was a really sweet um, message just talking about how you know she she listens to us every week she looks forward to it and it, re- it made a good day a bad day good for for both myself and Chris on Twitter it was like literally the nicest thing we had that day because we were arguing back and forth with with just the shittiest people you could imagine that day and she was just like I think you guys are great and I'm just like, fuck yeah so thank you to chaotic socialists that was absolutely amazing we love to hear it and then I also want to give two more quick shout outs one to basehead Faye because of course always I think once a month we're giving her a shout out for something and the other one to Mary Riley because we are both of them on Spotify the most listened to podcast for each of them and I just thought that was amazing I don't know if you're aware of this Kay but Spotify does this end of year thing where they give everyone stats like even for us it gave nope. us stuff but if you're just a casual listener <laughs> it'll show you like which podcast you listen to the most which hours you're doing so both of them gave us shout outs uh on our posts letting us know that they listen to our podcast the most which well, just does my my little atheist heart good i and i agree um you know this experience of doing this podcast has been it has been great for me personally and i appreciate it when people listen i appreciate it when people say thank you and that it means something to them that we do this uh, because we're not getting paid. We do this because it's something that we enjoy. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that other people enjoy it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing I'm going to I'm going to end on is I just remembered this. So Chris is not with us this week, but 
this Saturday, he's actually going to be recording an episode on uh, 1945 Germany, Nazi, Nazism, fascism, things like that, with our previous yeah. guest, Jordan, uh, from the 805 Uncensored podcast. He'll be joining them this Saturday. Now, I'm not quite sure on the details of when that episode releases, but I wanted to announce it for this week. We will be including a link to it, probably in this week's episode's description. So be sure to check out that episode. Shoutouts to Jordan at 805 Uncensored. Uh, we loved having you on, man. You've been great hitting us up on Twitter doing we're going to be doing some more collaborations with them be sure to check them out and give them some love because they're absolutely great over there at the 805 uncensored podcast absolutely i think that's gonna wrap it up for us you know uh it was just me and Kay solo today so i hope we were able to keep you guys entertained like i said chris will be back with us next week but who yeah fuck them who needs them but until then take care of yourselves take care of each other and remember kids the revolution is you